0: Because you know there's a the handful of people actually running everything. That's true. It's provable. We're not a conspiracy. It's all about it's
1: control. Today we just cattle. Numbers battling each other while they're creeping in the
0: shadows. Scheming, plotting, clocking. Your every move locked in your mind Brainwashing until it's rotten Got the population operating as they want them Symbolically mocking them Thinking nothing can stop them So open your eyes to the lies of the evil The poison in the minds and the lives of your people And every time they lead you down the line To deceive you And by then, it's always too late to see Through the veil that they hide behind Cause your third eye is blind Better take a stand We running out of time Ain't nobody coming to save us Fuck what you out of mind Arm yourself with the truth And jump behind the battle line Can we turn it around? Yeah it's possible, divideable or four, but united worlds. This is for the world, this is for the masses, attached to the strings being pulled by puppet masters. This is for the youth, searching for the proof, keep on looking for the clues, I'll provide you with some truth. This is for the ones waking up from the spell, beginning to discover themselves. Yeah, this is for the youth, searching for the truth, keep on looking for the clues, I'll provide you with some proof. This is for the world, world. All right. Hey, uh, hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another edition of a hitchhiker's guide to truth. I'm your host James Cordoner and it is the first show of the new year. So here we are coming out swinging, um, tonight I have a guest, uh, while we, we met up the other night and recorded. For for tonight's broadcast, um, and his name is Mark Steves, and Mark is a great guy. He has his own podcast, which we'll learn about in a second. And um, you know something about this episode that's really got my that's really on my mind is um, is how real serious we need to be taking uh, this this concept this this fact that uh, we have a system that is allegedly run off the consent of the, the people and it truly is not and uh we're going to get into that with this conversation tonight but uh, and um other than that after that conversation we're going to just we're going to chill out and we're going to listen to some music and we're going to I'm I'm going to attempt to take some phone calls and uh and we're going to see we're going to see what's uh what's up with that tonight for the the debut of our musical uh, our musical journeys that we're going to be taking each saturday night from here on out after whatever interview or whatever if i don't have an interview then i'll just play music and take calls and uh and discuss the music or or whatever you know but tonight we're gonna we're gonna air a, a, a live on the air tonight we're gonna play lateralis by tool on vinyl and part of the this new this new feature of the show is I have and I'll take the camera here I have to the side of me here my my record player and um, I've integrated into I I am going to be uh playing live music on, on the air each week for for you lovely folks so and we're gonna have fun with that we'll see where it goes so um we're going to start this interview now, and I'll see you guys on the other side. Okay, so I don't know, should we do an intro here? Do you want me to do it in, uh, live and post? But um, Up to you. So welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I'm sure that I've had some clever things to say before this actually starts, but here's a recorded session with myself and Mystic Mark from the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcasts, you can find where, you know, we're just about anywhere you get your podcasts. Um, before we bring in Mark, I, I kind of just wanted to give a little tip of the hat to him for setting up Alt Media United, which is basically a co op where he aggregates RSS feeds and provides a hub, a central hub where you can find tons and tons of different podcasts of free thinkers and free speech advocates. So without any further ado, mark how's it going dude thank you so much for being here thank you for having me on your show previously and here we are again bro so how are you
1: yeah no thank you for inviting me and it was a pleasure having you on my show i hope people go back and listen to that conversation but uh without further ado we're here to talk about uh skull and bones and that's a topic that a lot of people know about Uh, a lot of people may be familiar with this group but I've found some things that maybe exist on the boundaries of paranormal cult secret societies the things that may not generally be associated with skull and bones and I have a weird peculiar story that got me interested in skull and bones being that I live in New Haven County you know as a fellow New Englander you know New England's a pretty small place, and uh, I don't live that far from New Haven, so I've spent a great deal of time there and seen a lot of things, and a lot of those things have stuck with me, and as I got into podcasting, I realized now I have more time than ever to pursue this research, so here I am uh, hoping to bring up some new uh, facts, some new Insights so that people understand what's really going on at Yale because it seems that uh, Skull and Bones is just one faction. It may be the most notable and probably the most influential, but they're just one faction of secret society that has existed at Yale. And I would even argue that Yale itself has done more than any other institution to create the CIA. So, and, uh, you know, I'm no expert in the CIA, nor do I want to uh, go down that rabbit hole anytime soon. There are other more qualified experts in that realm than I. But as somebody who's from the area, it's just a sort of local interest. And uh, I've been inspired recently to start looking into my own backyard, you know, instead of going off and exploring some other place, look and see what's close to home. And Uh, Because of that interest and shared interest with my girlfriend and our friends, Roman and Chad, we started a new podcast called Esoteric America where we discuss this sort of thing with people uh, depending on where they're from. We have them on the show to talk about their uh, respective location and, and find out all the folklore and the weird stuff that Goes on uh, in these sort of unattended uh, spots, you know, where people live, but few travel to, few journey to, and and I think that's kind of the fun of it uh, is is exploring the fringes of of well-known places and uh, literally exploring the fringes and going into places that most people have never heard of. So, yeah, it's 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 a, a passion of mine to explore the strange it seems.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, you got to be able to explore it, to figure it out, find, uh, find some truth in there and, and report your findings so we, we can all move forward together. You know, you mentioned something just now, uh, about, about Yale and that the, the what seems to be that the skull and bones is the most prominent one, and it brought to mind the idea that with these secret societies and these brotherhoods, these fraternal fraternal orders, and however many different titles you want to give these uh, types of groups, um, they're set up like an onion, and you peel back a layer, and there's another one behind it, and they seem to all work together in certain ways. Uh, what brings what, the Freemasons come to mind, where? You have to be a a Mason to become a Shriner. You have to have had been a Shriner to become a Jester and so on and so forth. And then, you know, even Freemasonry has its ties uh, in history to the Skull and Bones and to so many other different offshoots. It's like a tree with many, many branches coming off of it. And it seems that the root of it all kind of comes from Freemasonry and even where Freemasonry comes from as far as like the Knights Templar and even the Rose, the order of the uh, cross and Rose, the Rosicrucians, and, and so much vast history in the past there. But uh, what about more of the present day stuff? Um, you know, what, what what have you been up to? What, what, uh, what do you, what have you found? What can you give us?
1: Well, it's an interesting question. So I, I guess I can start by just sharing how I got into this stuff because you know we're all if we're listening to a show like this we're all probably here for different reasons and I think those reasons are uh, important to understand you know why somebody starts to entertain conspiracy thinking and uh, look for conspiracy facts because I'm concerned with those facts not just theories, but facts, and I try to remain as objective as possible, but the subjective experience seems to be more valuable, uh, because people relate to it, and there are so many mysteries out there, and maybe people listening can be inspired by gleaming some insights from the mysteries that I've been uh, enthralled with, so without further ado, I started this kind of journey uh at community college where i took an anthropology class and other liberal arts courses and it didn't really fuel what i was needing you know it was it was okay i i remember one section of our anthropology course where we actually discussed conspiracy theory which was so funny because that same around that same time I had run into this character. Uh, Well, let me say this, New Haven's a small city. It's not the biggest city, at least the downtown area is pretty concentrated to uh, a certain nine square district, right? Everything outside of that for the most part is very urban, uh, somewhat uh, impoverished, you know, a lot of crime and then you have Some other neighborhoods on sort of the precipice that are extremely wealthy, so there's a big disparity. And at that time that I was in school, I would go to the New Haven Green, which is right in the center of New Haven. And it's been at the center of New Haven since the beginning of New Haven. And the colony was started around this. Uh, nine-square grid that was plotted out by a Cambridge uh, graduate named John Brockett. And this was very, you know, of the custom and tradition of surveying at the time in Europe. If you were to survey for a new town, you would lay out nine squares. And at the center square, you would have the hub of the town, right? Churches and maybe events would be held there. and so that's exactly what happened. And they built these three churches and the colony eventually, you know, grew and became a part of the Connecticut colony and then became a city of Connecticut, the state. But New Haven, as I j- just mentioned, initially started off as its own independent colony. And uh, I'm sort of getting away from my story and into some history, but uh this is all to tell you that the place that I was hanging out and just going to sit, meditate, smoke weed, read a book, you know, between classes uh, was a unmarked graveyard. And because they didn't teach us that much local history in, in school, you know, I had heard a little bit about it, but I didn't really like put too much thought to it. You know, I didn't think make the direct correlation. So. All that to say, I was sitting on top of this unmarked grave site, you know, in this park, a public park that's privately owned by some group that's associated with New Haven. And this is where I met a gentleman named Amos, who happened to live in New Haven, recently moved to New Haven. He was homeless at the time, and he had just got out of prison, and he was a Native American. He saw my t-shirt, which had sitting bowl on it, and he recognized a friend in me. You know, we started talking and shared a joint or two, and one of the things that he had told me was, well, you know, I got out of prison, and I decided I needed to Redeem myself, right my wrongs, do something good with my life because I had screwed up and my tribe was not going to accept me back in. You know, I didn't want to go back to that. So he decided he would honor his ancestor Geronimo and come out to New Haven. And why would he do that? What does Geronimo have to do with New Haven? Well, in the 1800s or the late 19th century, uh, Prescott Bush. Rob geronimo's grave i'm sorry early 20th century sometimes those dates get a little fuzzy but prescott bush the grandfather of recent george w bush robbed geronimo's grave at fort sill in oklahoma and brought the skull back to the tomb and i didn't know that at the time amos told me that and i found that really perplexing and insulting you know i had a lot of respect for native american culture then i still do and i did since i was a very young boy because my father happened to have a best friend who is a native american he's my sister my younger sister's godfather right so i I known personally native american person and it was insulting like oh geez they took this guy's skull and i just learned more and more and more but Amos, what was so interesting about him was that he didn't, you know, want to kick up some fight and get the skull back. You know, he didn't want to like knock down the door and, you know, steal it back like I probably suggested and others had suggested. He chose that he would, you know, he decided that he would stand in front of the tomb every day. And when I say the tomb, I mean this clubhouse type building that looks like an Egyptian temple uh, in the center of the downtown area on a street called High Street. This is where the Skull and Bones have their, you know, cache of (laughs) skeletons, parts, right, And, and all the other things that they collect in their clubhouse. He would stand in front of this building and scream Geronimo's name at the top of his lungs. And he even brought me there with him once to to witness this. And uh, it was a powerful sight. It was a prayer. It was a warrior's prayer. That's how he described it. And you know, that stuck with me. And you know, I didn't spend that much time at school. I ended up dropping out the next year because of other reasons and sort of realizing I needed to pursue uh, a career. And college wasn't going to help. With that, I just needed to get out and work, right? That was my resolve. And somehow, some way, I ended up at this unregistered, unaccounted for fraternity that was populated by people at the Southern Connecticut State University, right? Another college in New Haven. And my friends that I'd grown up with in middle school and high school, they were a part of this, not even because they went to the college. They had just met people who invited them to to become a part of it. Now, you know, all of this was kind of synchronistic because here I am, a college dropout at finding myself back into this college atmosphere. And this college fraternity happened to be like, you know, kind of underground. It wasn't officially recognized by the school. They had gotten kicked out sometime in the past, and but they remained an organization Uh, and just recruited students to be a part of it and through parties and the typical fraternity hijinks, you know, nothing like Skull and Bones at all, uh, except one of the sort of legends of the fraternity house was that the black uh, Jolly Roger flag that we had in our living room was stolen from the Skull and Bones fraternity house. Now, you know, I wasn't able to Find the brothers who did that they had long graduated by the time I was around but that legend kind of uh, Really stuck with me and here. I was synchronistically another example of okay mark you're in a place where you know Somebody's telling you about this group. Why you know so a friend that I had made at that fraternity eventually hired me to be a delivery driver at this bakery and this bakery their number one client, of course, was Yale University. So now, uh, not only am I primed with all this interest and and knowledge, but I have the keys to certain buildings, right? Because I'm going in there at 3, 4 a.m. to deliver bread, not the tomb exactly, but Yale buildings. And this was exciting because there's a sort of, You know ivy league ivy tower field to yale you know it's it's for the privileged the the brilliant the elite and the average guy like me blue collar you know there's no chance there's no scholarship for someone like me to a place like that so it was a really interesting opportunity to sort of see this uh, from the inside and i did and i happened to find my way into several interesting buildings just by Accident and through deliveries, I had to do one of which was the Wolf's Head Lodge, and that was really fascinating because it was the former Wolf's Head Lodge, it was the older one, and now they have a larger lodge somewhere else in town. But I was delivering pastries to this place, and the woman who accepted me at the door. I said, Hey, you know, this is a really cool looking building. I'm interested in this kind of stuff. Do you mind if I take a look around? And she was so happy to hear that, that she showed me around herself. And I was uh, kind of confused that they had this like really odd dining room with a balcony over maybe 10 feet above where you would be sitting to, to eat dinner as if you'd have like somebody standing or sitting up there like watching over the dinner table or maybe speaking or something it's very odd you know not not what i'm i'm typically used to seeing and uh, the other interesting building that i happen to synchronistically find myself in keep in mind all before i ever had a podcast this is all before i did that uh on the day george hw bush passed away I look down at the newspaper in one of my regular deliveries, one of these buildings, and I find out that that building that I'd gone in every Tuesday for the past however many months was the former home of George H.W. Bush, the Bush family. So now I'm like, okay, there's something going on here. This is like the third, fourth time you know, where I'm coming into contact with this information in a way that feels, you know, otherworldly, right? And since then, the synchronicities have accelerated, and that's a whole nother story. I know we want to get more into the meat and potatoes of of skull and bones here in New Haven, but uh, yeah, that's all to say that, you know, this isn't something that I pursued uh, on a whim it's something that has sort of by circumstance shown itself to me several times i've witnessed people walking in and out of the skull and bones tomb by accident just because of the frequency at which I was driving around New Haven as a delivery guy you know I was always keeping my eyes open for these kind of things taking pictures of weird carvings in the buildings you know the owl statues that just happen to be you know these curious places and all the other weird art installments from the the traditional type to the more modern type I mean there's a certain language a visual language of symbolism that you begin to pick up on when you're in this sort of area for long enough so yeah it, it's it's an interesting uh, story but again I think maybe uh, for your audience and you James you guys might want to get into the, the the nitty-gritty here so uh, skull and bones sort of comes into the picture in 1832 but New Haven has a much weirder history than just skull and bones. Like I said before, it started off as its own independent colony and they explored or tried to settle as far as south as Philadelphia. They also had some settlements on the Long Island. So, you know, the New Haven colony wasn't limited just to the perimeter of the New Haven uh, city that it is now. Uh, It was the entire county of New Haven, uh, and like I said, all the way down to Philadelphia, they had settlements, so it was a kind of an odd colony, the wealthiest colony at its founding, and it was founded primarily by Theophilus Eaton and John Davenport. Now, Theophilus Eaton was a East India or Eastland Trading Company governor, right? So you have these trading companies right at the beginning of the founding of this colony. And many people who are more than mildly familiar with Skull and Bones have heard that they are somehow partly responsible for the shipping of opium into this country, right? Or at least historically, they were a big part of that. The
0: East India Trading Company?
1: Well, Theophilus Eaton is a member of the Eastland Trading Company and who oh. Yale, who the school is named after, was a member of the East India Trading Company. So the, the names are similar. I just want to be clear about that. But uh, you have this theme of these trading companies and these these trading companies really were corporations before corporations were corporations, right? And we I'm sure you're familiar with the evils of the corptocracy. Well, this is sort of the, the beginning stages of this. These trading companies evolve into that. And there are more influences beyond that, but that's worth noting considering New Haven's sort of uh, underground or black market um, reputation. That follows it in the incoming years. But um, would you like, can I share my screen uh, on this program yeah. we're using?
0: Yeah. yeah, you should be able to do that.
1: Okay, cool.
0: Down at the bottom, there's a set of little bubbles. There should be a share screen option for you there. Mm-hmm. Wow. So while you're doing that, I, I, the, the, the uh, Wolf's Head Lodge that you mentioned, so uh, again, earlier you mentioned something about many orders, uh, in, especially in Yale. Wolf's Head, I believe, was another uh, Brotherhood or a secret, uh, secret order. One of the lesser ones, if I'm not mistaken. Um, then again, I could be, but I'm pretty sure that there was also like Scroll and Key or whatever. There was, there's a few different ones at Yale in particular. Right it, the right. skull and bones is this the most well known most popular because of the um, notoriety of its members having been kind of and like, also its influence yeah
1: I mean they've yeah. had they've had tremendous influence so I think notoriety kind of has worked against them in a way uh, they would have liked them to not be so notable but uh but yeah. Right you're 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 definitely onto it there
0: because in all in all when it comes to these ivy league schools a very very important part that people need to remember is where the idea of an ivy league school even comes from and that that um that type of school originates in england at oxford and the and all of these ivy league schools are contributing to the anglo-saxon i'm sorry anglo-american establishment Set forth by people like uh, Cecil Rhodes and his following, and um, the Rockefeller Foundation, the Carnegie Foundation of uh, Carnegie and Endowment, all of these different big-time players on the chessboard—they're uh, all participating in establishing this Anglo-American establishment. There's a whole book by Carol Quigley about it, and I suggest that people read that. But um, so we have that pulled up. You're you're. Tragedy and Hope. Carol Quigley, and oh, <clears throat> Carol Quigley was a was a professor at Georgetown. He was the professor at Georgetown and the mentor uh, one of the mentors of dun, 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 Bill Clinton, who was a Rhodes Scholar. So, and then when we look back at it, and we look back in modern history, ever since the eighties and even before that, but we're going to take it right down to the Reagan administration. Uh, Reagan's vice president was George H. W. Bush. He was a member of the Skull and Bones. He then came to be president. After that, it was Bill Clinton, Rhodes Scholar. After that, it was George W. Bush, Skull and Bones member. After that, it was Barack Obama who has ties to the CIA and is also a distant relative of the Bush family. And the CIA was started by the Bush family, in part by the Bush family. So we see this pattern. And after Obama, of course, is Trump. Who promised to drain the swamp, but who did he appoint to, um, the secretary of the treasury? It was a skull and bones member. Maybe I'm getting the wrong secretary, but he was in his cabinet in his inner circle of his closest, uh, members of his administration. There were skull and bone members in that circle. Thank and then you. after that, who do we have now? Joe Biden direct ties to all of this stuff. So. Right. um throughout my entire life since the 1980s it has been this leapfrogging of these different orders and they all surround this Anglo-American establishment which is constructed literally constructed to have one goal to reabsorb America into the the British Empire and so that's an that's a very important point that I, that I think I'm making to really encapsulate why this is so important. So we could we could theorize about what their little rituals are like and all this stuff. But at the end of the day, what these Ivy League schools are doing is they are kind of training the (laughs) training the people that are coming out of those schools to uh go out there and whether it's known to them or not, they are doing things that are weakening our our resolve as an american uh country you know Mm. as an independent nation if you will
1: and uh glad you said that because i feel like what we're about to get into will elaborate on what your your statement is there and i i do uh agree with with that point of the um secret societies that have this bent towards the anglo establishment they primarily are are fixated on this imperial structure this royal monarchy control uh, even if it's as a sort of puppeteer behind the strings and they they prefer this figurehead role uh, because it just gives the uh, um, average masses the perception that these people are just there for ceremony and you know that word i use in a probably a different way than most people do, right? Ceremony <laughs> implies something altogether different when you understand the occult. So uh, yeah, let's get into it. I, I don't see my screen being shared, but I've never used Restream before. So can I'll the take I'll it right now. Up. Okay, cool, oh, awesome. All right. All right, now I'm getting it. This is very intuitive. Shout out to Restream. So, so um, Francis Bacon, somebody that many people have most likely heard of, He is important to mention because his concepts not only were a big part of this age of discovery, this quote-unquote age of discovery, uh, it was also a big part of the advancement of the scientific method, which obviously is now kind of devolved into scientism, unfortunately. Uh, But we may understand a little bit better why that, happened uh when we get through some of this so one of francis bacon's most popular ideas at the time was his work the new atlantis and it involved this solomon's house this concept of rebuilding the temple of solomon and sort of it being this great utopian you know center of learning and evolution of humanity and all this you know flowery bright tinsley type of stuff that cult leaders like to say right and and not that francis bacon wasn't the cult leader but this sort of modus operandi quickly was scooped up by the cult leaders but either way francis bacon was certainly involved with uh groups like the royal society uh, and the rosicrucians were sort of background figure in all of that so the secret societies are right there at the beginning of this story. Um, and we find that New Haven itself was built to look like the Temple of Solomon. Uh, we have this sort of nine-square grid here. And on a, a slide up here, I have a comparison to the Temple of Solomon. I'll jump over to that. One really-
0: quick note about Francis Bacon, if I may interject, um, is that uh, that rumor has it that the true identity of one William Shakespeare was indeed Francis Bacon. Right. Also when, when the, um, the King wanted a rewritten version of the Bible, he slated Francis Bacon and that was the King James version of the Christian Bible. And that is where we get the King James version of the Bible. So, right. um, and hopefully that gives you enough time to find what you were looking for.
1: Oh yeah, no, there, there it is. Uh, if you look here, you'll see I did sort of a comparison. Uh, we have the eastern face of the sort of nine-square grid in the same position that the eastern face of the Temple of Solomon would be uh, where the doorway is. And of course, all of the churches built in this green had their entrances oriented in that direction so there's a little hint but uh as you can see it's sort of geometrically implied whenever you build this sort of nine square that it has this uh sacred geometry that the temple of solomon is mythologically supposedly the freemason sort of you know grand masonic temple right this was the foundation of freemasonry in their own mythology but you also mentioned the ivy league schools and how they're uh explicitly a part of this anglo establishment and look at this they're all curiously most of them are lined up on this straight line here and uh, for those like myself who are interested in ley lines and geomancy uh, this is evident of something uh, very particular you know not that the ley line guy who drew this ley line necessarily had this in mind but Peter Shampoo who I've interviewed several times he wrote about these ley lines in his book and on one of his maps he had a line called the city ley line that goes from New Orleans all the way to Boston and it crosses through major cities like Atlanta Baltimore Wilmington Philadelphia uh, some, I think, Trenton in New Jersey and New York City, New Haven, Connecticut, where we're talking about today, and uh, Boston as well. So, very significant that this line can be drawn through those cities. Some people might say, oh, well, that's just a coincidence. Well, this line also happens to go directly through the pyramid at Teotihuacan and it also happens to go directly through Stonehenge so uh, neither of those were built uh, by the same people who built these cities so you have to ask yourself you know were the city builders here doing that on purpose to align with the newly discovered structures in Mexico and the very ancient pagan structures in England and the British Isles? Maybe, maybe, right? I, we don't know for sure, but it is cool to plot the map and and kind of see it all from that perspective. Now, let's kind of circle back to the New Haven colony. The flag, you know, I don't go too deep into the, the symbolism, but the flag is, you know, very uh, English. It's also kind of vaguely Templar you have this red cross over a white background uh, and that's the new Haven flag from the beginning Um, John Davenport has a building at Yale University named after him he was like I said a founder of New Haven he envisioned the church state and school model feeling like this would be the ideal form of government Uh, led by ministers and rectors uh, who had a direct connection with God, right? That's the sort of Puritan vision of a school. And arguably, without this Puritan vision, we wouldn't have the education system that we do in America. It was these Puritans who believed in educating uh, themselves and their children uh, very rigorously as a sort of proof of faith towards God. This kind of uh, was well, it wasn't really in fashion in Europe, right? Because in in Europe at the time, if you were below a certain class, you were considered not the type to read, right? You were considered lower than that. Reading was something that people of a certain social status had so right from the beginning we have this sort of uh utopian proto-communistic idea of you know education and uh, theocracy somehow blended together right and it it it's worth noting because our country has been forever um, changed by that 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 was that's been a uh, long-lasting influence on American culture, ideas like freedom and liberty. The Puritans were escaping Europe, which they felt was, you know, uh, damned by God's judgment. They said, okay, well, we don't want to, you know, get wrapped up in the collateral damage from those sinners over there. Let's go to the new world, start it all fresh will be in a good relationship with God from the foundation, and everything will be great. Well, that was sort of the storybook summary version of it, and it's much more complicated than that. There were a variety of different sects of Puritans that found a home in the New World, and some of the ones in New Haven happened to be these sort of hyper-Calvinists who believe that all humans are inherently wicked and offend God. And this is a sort of symptom of the elite mindset in a way, where they sort of feel like they're better than everybody and they're allowed to do sort of whatever they want because they're closer to God than the rest of us, right? This is a sort of idea that's infected uh, the higher societies who consider themselves elite. And this millenaristic idea, this apocalyptic idea of Armageddon was also a big part of the mindset at the time. People literally believed they were in the Garden of Eden and that they were somewhat like fallen angels. And the Native Americans were uh, Adam and Eve, these sort of, you know, new, untouched, natural sort of, you know, people, right? They weren't they didn't consider themselves the same as Native Americans. I mean, there were so many cultural differences you can't really blame them for that. I mean, we don't want to assign today's morals on the past. That's not at all what I'm trying to do, but it is interesting to think about it in in these terms. The manifest destiny really meant to the the settlers like, you know, taking this land from those who didn't, you know, weren't worthy of it unless they believed in God, which Yale is a big part of the missionary school movement that sort of converts a lot of Native Americans to Christianity and uh, causes a lot of really interesting things to, to unfold. Now, missionaries are sort of like spies. They're sort of like information gatherers, and I'll stop sharing my screen so I'm not just jumping around Um, but missionaries are sort of like spies in a way, and Yale is founded by these missionaries from the beginning. Um, Yale is founded by James Pierpont, Abraham Pearson, and several others who were all instrumental in the purchase of large tracts of land across western New England, Uh, and they made a lot of money from that land, of course, but they also used this land to uh, create these missionary schools and gather as much uh, intel on the Native Americans as they could, also create alliances with certain Native American groups. And this is all right at the beginnings of what would become the first Indian Wars, right? Where uh, the British and the colonists start to fight the Native Americans. The Native Americans sort of split into different factions, some siding with the French, some siding with the British, some siding with certain groups of colonists. And this fighting continues until, I mean, the 1900s, right? I mean, the Native Americans technically were never defeated. They still exist, they still live. But from this first Indian War to this day, there has been a consistent uh, battle with different Native American tribes, and and even their existence on reservations, which are controlled by the u s military, is a sort of uh, war tactic, right? So this is the beginning of that. This is the fo- foundation of that. And Yale is a big part of this. Uh, Christianization of the new world. They are the first people to educate missionaries, like I said, and then send these missionaries to places as far away as like Hawaii, right? The first uh, missionary to Hawaii was a a Native American uh, Pequot from uh, Connecticut. So, you know, they sent themselves very far and wide. And I've recently learned that Hawaii was pretty much overtaken by these blue bloods uh, wasp Anglo uh, Anglo establishment, you know, and it's it's again we don't wanna assign morals onto history, today's morals and to the past, but there's definitely a uh quick conquest or at least in the minds of the the people who settled here. The Native Americans never stood a chance to, to the average military man, uh, and that was really a psychological blow more than it was a physical one, because like I said, the Native Americans still exist. They're number in the millions. They were not killed altogether. I mean, there are definitely tribes that have become you know, gone forever, unfortunately, lost history, but there are still Native Americans alive to this day. So uh, I think Yale is is sort of a part of this in a way. And this idea that missionary, a missionary is somewhat like a spy, I think it goes hand in glove with what's to come with Yale. So... um we're talking about now the 1700s, right? Because Yale is founded it right around the turn of the 1700s. And the school is officially built and settled in New Haven by 1717. Now, by this time, Freemasonry has also become an official thing with the Grand Lodges being founded that same year, 1717. Uh, so, Quickly, we have these debating societies becoming a part of Yale life, you know, several decades after the school gets going. For the first few generations of students, it's mostly religious studies. The Bible and learning languages like Hebrew and Latin, and and that's about it. But then you start to see this liberal arts, which is very Freemasonic, this liberal arts course. Uh, becoming a part of Yale as well. So they start teaching things like geometry uh, and all the other liberal arts, right? So we also have these debating societies becoming a part of the school at that time, of the Linonian Society, the Cretonian Society, uh, the Brothers in Unity. There's even uh, another debating society, that consisted of mostly students from the South called Colopia. So these debating societies that preempted the secret societies that people have a lot to learn about in the latter part of this conversation because there are a lot of them as you pointed out. um, They sort of are born out of these debating societies and the debating societies become uh, a part of this kind of neo mystery school format this template of like trying to mimic what was done in ancient Greece right because that's what they were reading about they were reading about the classics that was their the basis of their education at that time so we then see a different group forming this is phi beta Kappa and they form at the College of William and Mary, and shortly after they create a chapter at Yale, uh, the Alpha chapter, and this sort of brings in that Freemasonic element. Some people have said that Jefferson, Thomas Jefferson, started Phi Beta Kappa, and he is most often, it's claimed that he was sort of a French Freemason. Despite the fact that most of the Freemasons who were our founding fathers uh, were more English Lodge Freemasons, this guy happened to be, Thomas Jefferson, happened to be more of the French persuasion. And and Benjamin Franklin as well had some French uh, interests, and he's definitely going to come up later. But, uh, But yeah, Thomas Jefferson kind of influences the beginning of Phi Beta Kappa, Phi Beta Kappa then spreads to Yale and Harvard and the other schools that were open at the time. And this is when you start to see things kind of fractionalize. I mean, they already fractionalize when one debating society became two and three and four because it's just a natural social effect. You know, people who aren't a part of this privileged group or this exclusive group, well, they say, okay, well, we can't, join them, let's beat them and start our own, right? And that's what they tend to do. And that's why now to this day, you have 40 active secret societies at Yale. Um, And even then there were quite a few. So let's get right to Skull and Bones. Skull and Bones starts sort of inspired by people who were Once a part of Phi Beta Kappa, but allegedly the story is that Alfonso Taft and William Huntington Russell went to Germany and were inspired by some of the things they learned around the University of Berlin, with the Hegelian professor sort of triumphantly leading that school at that time, and all of the people that followed him sort of parroted his philosophy this philosophy that the state should be the ultimate power that the state would be uh in control and that would be a ideal form of government now this becomes sort of like the fascist modus operandi that hegelianist uh, mindset it's also sort of a big part of what skull and bones brings to the united states they start creating these um Well, military schools, just like the Prussian military schools that were very popular in Germany at that time. So Skull and Bones officially founded in 1832. And this is right hot on the heels of the William Morgan affair, which was a crisis in America at the time. Uh, freemasons had spread thoroughly since the time prior to the revolution up to this point you know the freemason lodges were everywhere people were all a part of them it was the thing to do and the thing to be a part of that's why many people have grandfathers who were freemasons or great-grandfathers so this man William Morgan He's killed by some Freemasons and the word gets around and everybody freaks out and nobody wants to be a Mason anymore. Oh, that's detestable secrecy. What kind of crap is that? We're not going to be a part of that. So there's this whole anti-Freemason thing that goes on for several years and uh, Yale has its own sort of faction of anti-Masons and a lot of the debating societies and, and sort of Proto Fraternity said that's enough with the secrecy we're going to be more like public charitable organizations we're going to help the people we're going to get involved in the community we're going to open up our doors and we're going to be you know public facing institutions to promote education and develop our students right so this is when you see a lot of those groups shift away from secrecy but then you see groups like Skull and Bones appear embracing that secrecy right because the the need for secrecy is political and the control of the government was vital especially after the revolution you have interests at yale and harvard who have a lot of sympathy or loyalty to the crown who maybe want their students to feel like the american government should be in a good relationship with england and it really didn't take much longer than a century for them to succeed at that, because we see World War I, the United States aiding the British cause, and of course World War II coming right in again to help the British. So uh, by then, I think they had thoroughly taken over uh, the American independence that we had gained in 1776, and that's far more complicated than we can get into here and now but i think yale and skull and bones and groups like skull and bones were inherently a part of that process of bringing us deeper and closer uh, into this imperial power structure and it took many generations of students funneling themselves through this power pipeline that is Yale into positions of power. And, you know, the CIA was, like I said at the beginning, sort of created by uh, Yale and these interests. So yeah, there's definitely a big (laughs) connection across the the gap here. I'm sort of focusing more on the history side of it and the esoteric side of it but I think it's important for people to understand that Freemasonry was very complicated then it's still complicated but in a different sort of way you know like you mentioned it it's kind of like an onion and I think a lot of these groups end up getting infiltrated in a way that they might not necessarily know that they're a part of a group that's serving the agenda of another group and it sort of works against maybe what they think they're there for so uh skull and bones quite possibly could be that for yale it quite possibly could be a a way of rerouting the interests of one agenda away from another so it gets complicated but i feel like i've been talking for a little bit here you got any questions for me um
0: it's uh it's very interesting that um the 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 historicity of of all of it because you mentioned um you you mentioned uh william russell right and and alfonso alfonso is it alfonso or alphonse alfonso yeah i'd say alfonso it could be S- S- alphonse. alphonse oh yeah um father of william taft which was the a president of the united states but not only that but alphonse Ta- alphonse taft was also the um, attorney general under uh, president grant after the civil war and he was also the secretary of war under grant and then his son so the 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 interesting thing about the skull and bones and the pipeline to power that you mentioned is that the a lot of the members of skull and bones happen to be legacy members meaning father son grandfather these this this lineage of of being a part of this order going to yale and doing this thing you know um we see that prescott bush and george hw bush george w bush grandfather father son all three of them all skull and bones members you know is the same with the taft there's been three american presidents that were skull and bone members you know so i mean it's like and then uh, of course like i mentioned earlier you you see this uh this power structure sort of um, I don't know if it's the power structure that's doing it, or if it's the the pipeline to power, as you so eloquently put it, that's doing it. So it's like as if there's members of this order that are being cherry picked and put into certain places where their abilities will be most effective, and as far as you know, what they're uh, what they were studying in school, as far as being lawyers or. You know accountants or whatever it is you know what i mean so it's so there's also other names like uh for the skull and bones it's like the um the brotherhood of death is one of them if i'm or is it the order of death that either way there's a, a brotherhood of death and an order of death the skull and bones is also known as as one of those but there's also like so both of those names apply to another, to a, to a, uh, a secret society and they are related. So that is, whether or not it's a brotherhood or the order of death. Um, so
1: it's within the group respectfully, formally sort of called the order that's that's how they that's how they title maybe their meetings and that's what they would say if they're giving like an announcement at a a meeting like okay welcome to today's the order you know whatever right they, Mm -hmm. they don't call themselves skull and bones that was the initial name and it's definitely the order of skull and bones that's a part of their name but they like to formalize it as the order and it's also uh the brotherhood of death the order of death those are absolutely names that that have come up uh in their own writing, in their own documents that author Anthony C. Sutton uh dug up. And you mentioned Carol Quigley, she or I'm sorry, you mentioned uh Iserby, Charlotte Iserby, who recently passed away. Uh she R.I.P. Yeah, she she was given a great deal of information from her grandfather, who happened to be a, in the order of Skull and Bones. And was it her father or grandfather? I think it might have been both of them, actually, now that she said that. that? Yeah, heard heard it, yeah it was either her uncle and her grandfather or her father and her grandfather. But either way, she had two male relatives who were Bonesmen. And, you know, being in the education field she quickly realized there was something going on with education she'd spent a great deal of time uh, as a member of the peace corps so she had been to communist countries with terrible communist regimes where people were brutalized and treated terribly by the government so she was very concerned when she started seeing that same communist rhetoric being inserted into the education system here in America. And, you know, one thing led to another, and she realized that the order of skull and bones was somehow inherently a part of that degradation of our education. And Anthony Sutton has also found uh, other evidences for this, uh, all of which is included in. His book, uh, "Secret Establishment," and um, which I have behind my shoulder over here somewhere. America's <laughs> Secret Establishment. Sorry, and um, yeah, it's it's really fascinating the way this information has made its way out, and yet there's still a level of secrecy that's preserved. I will say, you know. When we're looking in the skull and bones, it seems that they're, the damage that they've done is confined to the past. Now, that's not to say that what they've done isn't still affecting the present and the future. It's very important to understand that they've been a part of 9-11, the Bolshevik Revolution, and everything in between. I mean, even possibly the Civil War, had, they had a hand in. So. We can't discount their influence, but I would say since the 70s, the whole entire college system has been sort of turned inside out by the students and this sort of activism that's going on. And there may be a political agenda that's inspiring that cultural Marxism, right? Or campus Marxism, as I heard it recently termed, and I think that's a really brilliant way to put it and that's exactly what happened in the 70s to a lot of these secret societies and now skull and bones admits both women and uh people of any background or initially it was regard you know limited to white males and as you said mostly males from those specific families not even you know uh any white male right so it wasn't a sort of uh racist thing from the perspective of a white person it was more of like a anglo you know tribal sort of impulse like these families had an allegiance towards one another whether through royalty or through whatever they they had done in their lives that had forged this bond between them maybe secret society even uh, so there, there's this elitism that you can't just pin on uh, mere race, right? But it seems that now, as a modern observer of Yale and these Ivy League schools, they seem to have a lot of international students these days, right? You have a lot of students that come from other countries who happen to be, uh, you know, wealthy, whose families may be in politics in other countries. And I find this fascinating considering the CIA espionage aspect to all this because if these secret societies are now opening their doors to women and anybody uh, of any background, well, that gives them a great deal of Uh, capacity to influence the global politics of other regions, right? Because you have these students who come to these Ivy League schools, they become a part of this secret oath that this oath, you know, they hold higher than, like Bush held his secret oath towards Skull and Bones higher than his presidential oath, right? He, He would not tell anybody about what he did at Skull and Bones what do you what What could you call that other than you know, uh, in you know, I don't know the proper term, but he's holding his secret oath higher than his presidential oath, which is clearly is not constitutional. And you can only imagine what's going on with these other countries and uh, the Ivy League's ability to be influential in that way. Not that you know every professor and president of one of these colleges is completely complicit in all of this scheming, but. This is this sort of uh, playground of the CIA to recruit the best and brightest, who then get pipelined into positions of influence and power, politically or otherwise. And uh, and yeah, it's it's concerning, certainly. Um, Another thing that I should point out is the Yale School of Drama was recently bought and renamed after David Geffen, the billionaire, Hollywood billionaire, who definitely has some weird things tied to him. So, yeah, Yale seems to be this sort of uh, festering pit of <laughs> of spooks, right? And I mean that. It's like spies, you know? And, and, yeah we should talk about the Lenonian society going back to 1753, one of the first societies secret or otherwise at Yale and it's notable members were, well, Nathan Hale, America's first spy, who's sort of like the martyr patron saint of the revolution. And his statue is at Yale's campus. It's also at the CIA's headquarters and it's also at a local, um, what do they call it? Reserve Military Base?
0: Um, I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, no, yeah, thank you, National Guard Base. And uh, yeah, it's just very fascinating, you know, we have all of these characters a part of this group. Some others are uh, the inventor of the cotton gin, Eli Whitney, and the Whitney family is a huge player in all of this. Whitney's were incredibly influential in a number of industries. But he invents the cotton gin, which was said to be the cause of, you know, the freedom of or the abolition of slavery. Right. And because now these northern uh, slave owners, they would just industrialize their uh, wage slavery so that they didn't have to chain people up, but they can wait and wage slave them, you know, and and that's what's evolved since. But it all started with Eli Whitney. Uh, on that front. And these folks were also some of the first people to suggest that these African slaves would be sent back to Africa, which I think, you know, a lot of people find that to be pretty racist. You know, the fact that you're like, okay, we're going to take all these people from their home for several generations and then just ship them back to a place that they never, they're not, they're not from there anymore. Right. They've been born in America. So, you know, a lot of very dark corners of our history uh, as a country have a sort of uh, origin at Yale, which is, again, you know, kind of contradictory to this cultural Marxism, social identity, politics that's so popular at these colleges. You know, do these students know that their college is named after and founded by slave owners? I doubt it. If they do, they don't Pay attention to it much. <laughs> if, they, if they knew it, they might take tear their whole college down. You know the way they did those statues. But uh, but yeah, it, it's right from the beginning that Yale has secret society people a part of it. The seventh president of Yale University was a member of the Society of Cincinnati, which many of the founders of the country were also a part of, and Benjamin Franklin was a part of the Society of Cincinnati. He also was friends with Ezra Style and received an honorary degree from Yale, thanks to his friendship with Ezra and uh, Timothy Clapp. But he also was a part of this group, the Hellfire Club, which curiously now is being brought back into the collective consciousness through the show Stranger Things. And it's kind of odd to see that name no, i
0: don't know much about the hellfire club to be honest but um from what i have the 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 small amount of, of of uh research that i've come across like listening in on on different podcasts and the mention of the hellfire club is not typically followed by many good things right So, and then you see these moms, these like soccer moms buying these t-shirts at at like at a store for their kid and it says Hellfire Club on it because they think it's some neat thing from a popular television show. And it's like, no, 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 that is a very uh, rich tapestry of history there about this Hellfire Club. And yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that because a lot of people, they do not understand the the weirdness surrounding benjamin franklin in particular with his um affairs that he was having he'd be in france he'd have have you know affairs on uh in in france big marital affairs in in there and then he was uh his him and his roommate there they they, didn't they find bodies (laughs) like buried in the crawl space like some jeffrey Dahmer stuff you know it's a pretty interesting history. I wish I knew more about it to really give a, a, a clear and effectively communicated, you know, um, portrayal of it, but I, I guess I'd have to do, I, I got more homework to do, but it, it's, it's an interesting history for sure. You know? Yeah. And on that note of the, the
1: bodies that they found, you know, Brett, Benjamin Franklin officially were told he was, uh, you know, fascinated with anatomy and he was doing autopsies and, you know, back then that probably wasn't legal or very well understood. So colleges like Harvard and Yale probably had to hire groups of young men to go and rob graves to get cadavers and bring them into the early hospitals and schools so they could do this kind of research. And well, what do you have it? Skull and Bones has all these stories about going around and digging up famous people or collecting the skulls of famous people. Oliver Cromwell, the man who famously, you know, created the English parliament and, and overthrew the monarchy, uh, the Protestant, you know, general, right? He was, uh, he was killed and his head was decapitated from his body, unfortunately. Uh, that's something that occult metaphysics says is sort of bad for you in the afterlife, but uh, they did this to him to punish him, right? The royal crown did this. And they put his head up on a a pike, and his skull uh, was there, you know, for several years until, apparently, Skull and Bones came along and grabbed his skull. So they have Cromwell, they have Pancho Villa, they have Geronimo, you know, allegedly. All of these skulls are there, and you have to wonder what the occult significance of this is. Are they doing some sort of sorcery? Are they maybe uh, drinking fluids from these skulls or praying to them, uh, you know, receiving visions from them? That's the whole lore with the Templars and St. John the Baptist, right? They had St. John the Baptist's head, and they would use it to, uh, well, see the future and and receive prophecy but benjamin franklin and the Hellfire club is is kind of interesting you know a lot of these secret societies have political agendas you know and and at the time after the enlightenment all of these things that have been suppressed by the church were now in fashion so all these really morose dark things that now we're kind of repulsed by were probably uh, entertaining to a certain degree. They were so suppressed that maybe even, you know, a viewing of an autopsy would have been something that people would have participated in, and it was. That was something that people would do. They would go and witness surgeries even. I mean, as gruesome as that sounds. So uh, I think there's a little bit of an aspect of that going on with Benjamin Franklin. but. His position in the Hellfire Club certainly uh, raises some eyebrows, at the very least, because their whole goal was to be, well, uh, you know, as wicked and vile as they could be, because that was, like I said, in vogue at the time, you know, they didn't really uh, believe in God anymore. They had all sort of felt like they were enlightened enough to to know that, well, sin- we're not sinners like these priests have been telling us, so let's just sin, 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 and I don't know if that's the best way to respond to that, but I think that's sort of, again, symptomatic of a suppression, uh, maybe also opening a doorway to some evil that then made its way into our government, I mean, who knows, right, it's it's very strange stuff when you're talking about the occult, often it drives people uh, insane, so Yeah, and a lot of this secret society intrigue, it's not, you know, a creation of the West. Secret societies are part of every single culture, from indigenous tribes that have never been contacted by the rest of the world to, you know, the most advanced cultures or what we think of as the most advanced cultures today have secret societies. So it's it's just a, something that people need to uh, reconcile with and you know if you're not, not like me maybe it doesn't matter much but I'm just someone who doesn't like secrets. I'm very curious. So you put the word yeah. secret in front of anything and I'm going to go and look and see what I can find.
0: Yeah, it's very important in uh, in the process of truth discovery to shed light on these on these secrets. I mean how else are we going to really understand the truth of what is actually going on around us? When this—and I like how you put that—that that, that this pipeline to power is is out there, and it has no it has no inherent an inherent right to exist. And many believe that it's that it's this exposure, this this uh, road to exposure, um, that John F. Kennedy was treading down that led to his. Uh, His demise, Uh, the famous speech that he gave shortly before his assassination and um, some of the ways that he would push back on the deep state, which has existed uh, since the um, well for I would say since the beginning of these uh, intelligence agencies. The deep state has existed. I mean, we have the OSS that was during World War One, and then the OSS basically turns into the CIA, and all of this is done with the help of MI five, MI six out of England, and it's this partnership that you see, and we adopt some of their um, some of their intelligence agency uh, methods, and thanks to people like Ian Fleming and um and prescott bush and these people working together they, we see how the cia fbi these alphabet agencies exist today and they don't exist for our benefit there they have they have uh very um i would say very dark origins and not dark as in maybe uh but dark as in like we don't see what's going on <laughs> you know uh and, and i guess that's the whole purpose right or else what's, what's the point. But I mean, um, yeah, I mean, they, they really do, uh, have a very big hand in many of the ways that the pieces on the chessboard have been pushed around. Um, and they've infiltrated every, every corner of our government, uh, which doesn't really have a, a right to exist anyways. Um, but you know, that it does, it does exist nonetheless and they have infiltrated it nonetheless and it's it needs to be any any type of exposure that we can kind of um that we can kind of help you know gain some exposure on this is is worth the time and trouble to figure this information out and to get it out there to uh, as many people as possible because it is something disturbing that in our lifetimes and this has been This has been uh, kind of touched upon many, many times before, but we'll do it here too, is that, you know, in our lifetimes, you see two members of the Skull and Bones uh, kind of fighting over a presidency. You have John Kerry and George W. Bush. What are the odds that a brotherhood at one college, there's at the time of that presidential race, there's something like, I don't know, 200 you know, uh, I'm sorry, like 2 billion. How many people on the face of the planet were there? You know what I'm saying? So, uh, and how many people in the country, nonetheless, 200 million, maybe. And then out of that, you have a secret society at one college that has 15 new members each year. And two of those members from the same graduating class end up and end up, you know, running against each other for president, you know? So it's like this setup, it's a setup. Well, not right.
1: Bill Clinton went to Yale Law School, so you have a a Yale president succeeding a Yale president
0: too. Yeah, he, yeah, and he also went to Georgetown too, you know. So I mean, that's where he met Carol Quigley. So mm-hmm. I mean, we have and Carol Quigley is like one of the more famous whistleblowers. Charlotte Iserbeet is a is a whistleblower. She was actually working with the working for the Reagan administration. She was in the uh, the National Education. Association or whatever it's called, the uh, I I, I forget what the name of it back then was, but yeah, she noticed this pattern going on and communism uh, infiltrating our country into the education system, and she was like, "What is what is going on here?" And she uh, blew the whistle on it, and she was like, "This needs to stop." And she got fired, (laughs) and she knew she was getting fired, so she like emptied out all of her stuff. She like took all of her stuff with her, you know, and her father, and I think it was her father got a book and in the book it had like all the mem I think it was like all the members of the skull and bones was in the book and she's like this is and um, he wasn't doing he wasn't like in good health so he like had her read the book to him or something <laughs> something along those lines but anyways that's how she kind of was like what, what is going on with this mm. and uh, but uh, you know I did a little bit of back- I did a little bit of a background check on on Charlotte earlier today which is why it's so fre- like kind of fresh in my mind but um yeah she's an interesting very interesting character she wrote a book called the deliberate dumbing down of america and uh i would suggest for people that are interested in the education system to go and look into that book and because it's a very and i've done some work on uh on the education system you know and and uh my 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 background on that is more like the long the way back history of it not so much the modern times, but anyways, um, yeah, it's very interesting the way that they, they infiltrate all these corners in our society and they're kind of, I don't know, they're, they're, they are, uh, um, what's the word influencing a lot of what's going on in culture today, you know?
1: Right. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's definitely, their, their influence has waned and it's transferred over into larger other groups. I think, you know, it's definitely, there's still a recruiting ground uh, for sure, but I don't think that Skull and Bones holds the same position that it once did. Uh, I think that maybe other groups now have more uh, impact on maybe like what we're seeing now is the current faction in control, uh, but who knows? I could be wrong. I, I've, I've only focused on the the past. Uh, it's only been recently that I've kind of looked into the, the more recent history of Skull and Bones in in Yale, and I will be covering that moving forward, hopefully. Uh, I, I want to interview some former students. I've already interviewed one university found out some interesting things so yeah there's a lot more to learn and and I don't expect to expose anything all of the information that I found is publicly available I'm just bringing attention to it you know I'm not uh, an investigative journalist of any kind you know I'm not like going into archives or these breaking into buildings or anything crazy like that you know I just happen to have some really pretty weird experiences in New Haven that led me to, to look into some of this stuff and if I can inspire people to look into their own backyard and look at what creepy crawly groups are near them <laughs> maybe they'll 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 find some worthwhile connections as I have
0: what are the um, let's talk about the East India trading company if you have any information about that and the, the possible ties to, uh, to to the skull and bones with that because um, there are a lot of connections between, from, from things that I've gathered, there's a lot of connections between members of the Skull and Bones or, or people, that have, um, that people that have been in these Ivy League schools recently in, in history and um, the drug running that's going on today. And in history, we see that the East India, the British East India Trading Company was largely responsible for the opium trade back then that existed and uh i was curious what kind of information you had if there's any sort of connection between the skull and bones and the east india trading company in that in that respect
1: yeah i you know I will point out some things from uh, Fleshing Out Skull and Bones, which is written by Chris Milligan and includes the work of Anthony Sutton, among other great authors, some of which I've interviewed on my show. But I I, I don't remember all this stuff off the top of my head. I will just say that um, what I do remember off the top of my head before I start quoting from this book here is that. As I said earlier, Eli, who Yale, the primary benefactor to Yale from the beginning, was a governor of the Dutch or the British East India Company in Fort Madras, India. He was sort of taken out of his position for some sort of controversy later in life. But his father was born in New Haven. Eli was Born in Boston, and his father's um, father, or well, Eli's grandfather, was married to theosophists, uh, or was the the grand uh, the son, kind of like the stepson of Theophilus Eaton. So the founders of New Haven have a connection to Yale, this family Yale going back to England and many yales from england have been you know a graduates of cambridge or oxford but also members of government right so yale's sort of a prominent family and also involved in this trading company but later in time in the 1800s we have the russell trust that is basically the legal body behind Skull and Bones. Well, that name Russell comes from William Huntington Russell, and his brother, Samuel Russell, was the owner founder of Russell Company, which was the largest American opium smuggler and the third largest in the world behind the British dent firm, Uh, and the largest smugglers of all were the Scottish Mertens Yardine and Matheson. So... Uh, For many years, Russell and Company and Jardine and Matheson worked together and were known as the combination. They virtually controlled the trade, manipulating market forces towards maximizing profits. Russell and Co. was started in 1824 by Samuel Russell of Middletown, Connecticut. This is a place that's only a half an hour drive from New Haven, and there are some very interesting family connections between the families of New Haven and Middletown, also a lot of very interesting architecture in Middletown, uh, very similar to what's going on in New Haven. So the Russell family was steeped in Yale College history, all the way going back to one of the founders, Reverend Nodia Russell, uh, and of course, William Huntington Russell, Samuel Russell's cousin, uh, who founded the Order of Skull and Bones. So right from the beginning of the Order of Skull and Bones, you have this drug trafficking connection, the largest smuggler of opium in American history. And these are the guys that basically got involved with the Opium War uh, and kind of ever since have been meddling in China's business. I mean, look at George H.W. Bush. He was the ambassador to China for some time, as well as the head of the CIA. So. Uh, this is definitely something that they have kept up with. And uh I think even Barry Seal was related to the bushes. So uh a lot of interesting stuff. Again, I'm only quoting that from Chris's amazing book, Fleshing Out Skull and Bones. And he's covered so much in here that it's hard to uh to to talk to find stuff that isn't covered in this already, but you know I have mysteriously and uh that's where I try to focus the most is try to build off of what's already been said and not just repeat uh what's already been written about right and that's that's a big part of it for me is you know although uh these books have been written they haven't covered the whole entire story you just can't in in two books so uh and other authors have written about Skull and Bones and you know, just as a local, I'm I'm kinda interested in it. You know, the drug war has affected New Haven. Uh it's affected my life. I mean, I'm a pot smoker, so I'm not like totally uh I'm I'm kind of in the gray area, so to speak. Now it's legal in Connecticut to smoke weed, but when I started smoking, it was not legal. And yeah. and yeah, it definitely showed me a side of the world at a young age that was kind of scary, kind of bleak, kind of uh tugging at a part of me that feels like I was put here to help right and I I think that's a big part of being in the podcast community that we're in is that we have this instinct that's just a part of who we are to help and one of our ways that we can help people is by talking about these things I mean just the fact that these shows exist have led me to do what I'm doing you know being a huge fan of podcasts and being a listener and then a host you know like my family thinking I'm crazy uh, it, it's it's kind of you know lonely at some points but now I don't feel that at all I, I mean I have this huge community of people that uh, I know are with me on this whereas when I was just you know an average person not hosting a podcast I'm still an average person um, it just felt more isolating you know and and now i can share these kind of stuff these ideas with people who receive them well and and i think that is going to lead to a shift in awareness and create generations ahead of us who don't fall into these same traps that the generations before us have so Uh, that's sort of, I don't know, maybe altruistic of me. But again, I I just want to help. So if I don't accomplish that lofty goal, that's fine. As long as I help some people along the way, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, the it it is the the path to freedom, you know, we a path to an equal um, an equal standing as far as as far as you know, society goes that we are all we are all uh, equal. You know as it says in many documents in the past but i mean you just you 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 feel it in your spirit you know and like that's the whole point of of like even though it's like you're not blowing the lid off of anything really i mean even if it's just an aggregation of information that you've assembled and, and you want to put it out in your own voice it's like okay now the choir is a little louder and now the now the message reaches a little further And there's more, I liken it to a a rock being thrown into a pond and you throw the rock into the pond and what does it do? It splashes, it goes up, it comes down and the ripples, the ripples reach. Well, we're throwing many rocks into that pond. That pond is life and the rocks are truth and the ripples are the, are the, the reach of the message. And that's what we're doing here with our shows, you know, and I, um, it's interesting back to what you said about, (laughs) about Barry seal. So Barry seal was the drug runner and uh, he would be the, um, they, it was Barry and the boys. Right. And that was like, kind of like their little, their little club name or something like that. Uh, no, that was a, a book actually. Barry and the boys, I think was a book anyways barry seal was uh, flying planes out of central america or southern south america into mina arkansas during the 80s and who was the governor of arkansas at the time bill clinton right and who was the president george hw bush ronald reagan during that era in the 80s right so and then um but uh yeah. So it's like a very, very rich tapestry, <laughs> you know, so uh, there's a lot to get into and, and maybe, um, maybe sometime soon we can, we can kind of join forces again and, and go over it some more. Once I know I got a lot of homework to do on this, on this uh, subject, you know, and it just keeps, it just keeps building and building and building. It's almost, in, it almost feels like, like uh Like an impossible task to get all of it you know all of it uh, in one brain (laughs) you know what i mean so it's a lot to
1: learn yeah especially when you factor in the other ivy league schools you know like yale is just one of many of these ivy universities and you know harvard has its own secret societies the william and mary college that initially had the first secret society phi beta kappa uh, at least the first college secret society. Um, so yeah, I mean, and the other weird thing is how many of these schools were founded by people who graduated from Yale and were a part of skull and bones, for instance, John Hopkins university, the university of California and many others. So, you know, their influence has shaped the education system and, uh, it's also shaped culture because a lot of the founding you know the settling of the west had not even been done by by the time you know skull and bones came into the picture so at that time a lot of those families who made it rich in different industries from war you know they went out to the west and became like the big shots you know the landowners uh, you know founders of new cities and such so yeah it, for those who are listening and are not on the east coast like james and i may sound like i like well what what does this have to do with me uh but i would argue maybe you should look into your town and your state's founding and see where they came from right because that's that's a big part of it and uh and to see how the influence spread, because I could, I could, like James said, I can only fit so much in my mind, and I want to keep it to uh, what I can manage and and things that I can drive to in my car, which seems to be the funnest part is just to to go out and explore and and like open yourself up to the possibility of discovery, because that's where that's where we're meant to be as human beings, and it doesn't necessarily have to be secret societies that you're looking into. You could have discovery in any realm of human creativity. And, and that's really what, uh, what we should be doing as human beings. That's what's going to propel the, the world to a better place, is, is when people are, are following that instinct of, of what's best for them and concurrently what's best for the world
0: that's right if we can if we can do that in a uh, nonviolent uh, voluntary consensual involuntary in consensual relationships with the principle of nonviolence you know we we're going to live in a much freer much op- more open and uh, much more moral uh, morally driven uh, society and the need for a power structure the need for a control structure will be severely diminished if not rendered obsolete And I I think that 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 there are many, 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 um, many, uh, many players on that field as far as the different avenues to explore and the different things to expose as far as um, how our our freedom is 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 being taken away from us. And um, there's a lot of there's a lot of different subjects out there and they all hold some weight except for flat earth. <laughs> Sorry, but I don't, I don't subscribe to that. I think that's a, I don't like arguing over the shape of the cage. <laughs> so uh, I don't know how anyone would feel about that, but I'm here to discuss anytime. Anyways, um, <laughs> uh, what else is there? Uh, I don't think anything else for this time, Mark, but, um, yeah. So why don't, why don't you tell people, how to get in touch with you first of all before you go I, I i really 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 want to do my part and pay it forward and just tell people give a little detail on how to get in touch with you to get on alt media united
1: hmm. it's very simple you just go to the website altmediaunited.com you check it out let me know what you think by getting in touch with me at, altmediaunited at gmail.com. I know gmail i gotta get my own uh you know email through the website i haven't done that yet i know how to do it just haven't done it yet i have so many emails but anyways altmedia united at gmail.com all one word no hyphens or periods or anything like that um and yeah if you're interested in in being a part of the cooperative it's 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 going to be in the long run we have a lot of great plans we're still in the first phase of alt media united where we're sort of you know all we are is a website right now and and that's fine uh, but the idea is to help podcasters grow independently so you know by joining our cooperative we're never going to touch your money situation at all we want to help you make more money as a podcaster and there are certain services and things that can be pooled together as a collective uh certain things that we can get done as a group that we wouldn't be able to as individual operators so the cooperative gives us a opportunity to work as a group effectively while also remaining independent operators in control of our means which is i think the most important part of what podcasting is is doing is giving people uh, a well, a platform for their freedom of speech, but also be some sovereignty uh, to be able to quit their job and inspire people. And, and if people feel inspired enough to donate, I mean, that's been keeping me going along with the, you know, sort of freelance gigs that I've managed to find within this realm. So uh, if anybody finds value from these kind of conversations and wants to fund any future work of mine, please do support uh, my podcast and and any podcaster on Alt Media United that you find value uh, in, you know, including James and his show, the one we're on right now, A Hitchhiker's Guide to the Truth, and I'm happy to hitchhike with you anytime, brother. <laughs>
0: <laughs> nice man. Well, thank you very much. Um, yeah, I, I really appreciate being on there. You know, it's been fun, and uh, it, it's it's been fun like listening to the other guys' podcasts and stuff like that. Aon Bite is really good. Mm-hmm. I think he's, I think he's really something else. And there's even podcasts on there that I already knew about in my own time and i'm scrolling through the the roster and i'm like oh they're they're on there like grand theft world and tinfoil hat and and like that was like really cool to see that you know it it, there's uh it's really good what you're doing over there i i I really mean it like for for this like it's it's all about um no one else is going to support us we have to support each other and our families do think we're crazy mine does my family thinks i'm 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 nuts and uh so we kind of create our own little fami- family dynamic in the community to, and disagreements happen, but it's, it's about the, the overall thing about we want freedom, you know, and there's, there's people out there making a concentrated effort to take that freedom away from us. <laughs> and we don't, we don't, we don't abide by that at all. So, um, anything else, uh, tell us about your show before we go.
1: Yeah. My family thinks I'm crazy. It's the name of the podcast. You can listen to it anywhere. You find it on Alt media United. You can also go to my family thinks I'm And, uh, that's where all the, the links are. I have another show. I think I mentioned it in this interview, esoteric America, and that is on my YouTube channel as well as Rockfin, And it has its own, um, rss feed as well so if you want to listen to that audio only you can uh listen to that on whatever podcast app you listen to my family thinks i'm crazy or a hitchhiker's guide to the truth so yeah thanks brother i appreciate you having me on james and uh i look forward to our next conversation the more i research this stuff the more i add to my you know uh list of of things we could talk about so there's there's gonna be no shortage of uh information to get into as this research progresses
0: yeah uh, you know not to open up another can of worms here but there's also the skull and bones out in utah mm, yeah
1: i got a message about that yeah somebody said oh you should check this out and do a show about this yeah
0: Very and cool. they have connections to uh the mormons right and then <laughs> we got good old Mitt romney who was running for president against barack obama right so we have again this uh this just it, it's just so deeply embedded and in, into this system but we gotta go that's a conversation for another time and uh you know so uh, uh so yeah thank you very much mark for being here and you know what everybody um I'm pretty sure I'll see you on the other side right after this is done. So I'll see you in a minute. I forgot to turn my volume back up. Thank you, Aaron. (laughs) Okay. So what I was just going over was uh, what I said was give it up for Mark Steves. Uh, at my family thinks I'm crazy. That's a great podcast. He has many great guests on that show and I recommend going over there and checking out his show. You can get it anywhere. You can get a podcast. Uh, when you're done with that, go to altmediaunited.com. Check out all the content creators there and then go over to one great Work network.com and check out all the great content creators there as well. So we're all endeavoring to keep this uh, the you know this free speech alive we're we're really trying to to make a difference at, on those sites with our content and uh, it's not just armchair warrior stuff a lot of the people that are doing these things they they're very active in their communities and they're actually doing the things that they say that they that they're about you know they're they're walking the walk as well as talking the talk so uh, other than that i want to um I'll go over this again. So I'm going to try to take calls and I'm going to try to do that through Telegram. So I recommend going over to freeyourmindne.com. You can go to the live page where the live show is, is broadcasted here and you can click on this, join Telegram to call in, come on over there. Or if you don't want to click it there, you can go to the, I, I've added it to the bio, uh, the, the biography, and call uh, the biography and contact information page as well. So you go over there to Telegram, and it'll open up in a new page. Join group. It'll automatically bring you over. It'll automatically bring you over to the group, and um, and you'll be able to call into the show there if this works out properly. So I recommend to do that if you'd like to call in. I have a video. I have a video chat open. And it should uh it should patch right through to the live stream. And but I mean, other than that, what we're gonna do tonight, as promised, I am going to share some music with with everybody just to kind of like have fun, some more fun this evening. And uh, it'll be it'll be something that um that I plan on doing often on this show going forward. So but the, here's the thing. Uh, I think this will be, a fun thing to do, but I think it's going to be something like a, like this stream will self-destruct when we're done. So when you go back to, to, if you're, if you're looking to watch a replay, whatever interview I do, will be featured on a replay, but the music, the, the music will be just for the live shows. And, um, I think that might be, it might be it. We'll we'll see what happens in the future. But so tonight we, like I said at the beginning of the show, we have uh lateralis by tool on vinyl. That'll be my little, my little, you know, gimmick. If you, <laughs> if you want to call it a gimmick is all the music that I'm going to be playing uh, on the show from here on out, it will be coming from my own music collection and it will all be on vinyl. So it'll be, it'll be a nice little, nice little touch. And you can call in and, um, call in and talk about the music or you can call in and talk about the the interview or whatever's on your mind uh so yeah. yeah let's let's begin okay so we got we got lateralis move over here see if this works out the way that i want it to and we'll have some fun i kind of gave it a test run the last uh, i think like the other day and um you know so and give a little factoids about the, the music and the songs that we're listening to, uh, during record change. Cause with vinyl, of course you got to like switch things up. Okay. okay. <laughs> so here, there we had the finale of the record and, um, for anyone interested that is a that that is an excerpt from a, a an old episode of coast to coast with art bell uh a call a caller art bell was a pretty cool dude he would take calls from just about anybody and um whether or not that man was telling the truth well that's up to up to the uh up to you know <laughs> up the time up 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 for time to tell (laughs) it has been it it has been rumored that that was all a hoax uh that the person calling in was just um was just messing with art bell Uh, i i don't know uh i i do not know um anyways that that last song that we heard uh reflection is a pretty great song uh a lot of a lot of really great lyrics in that song. So um, what dra- what what draws my attention is a, a lyric that I've actually quoted on the show before. So crucify the ego before it's far too late and leave behind this place so negative and blind and cynical and you will come to find that we are all one mind capable of all that's imagined and all conceivable. So let the light touch you so that the words spill through and let the past break through bringing out our hope and reason. So um, with that being recited, I will be I will be calling an end to this week's broadcast. So thank you for tuning in. My name is James Cordiner. You've been watching A Hitchhiker's Guide to Truth. Uh, like and subscribe, share this show with your friends, all that great stuff. And I will see you guys next week. And it will be... Uh, what do we have going on next week? What's on the schedule? Let's see. I don't even know my own schedule. <laughs> it's late. Give me a break. So the schedule for this coming week will be the first. Uh, we'll be doing a roundtable discussion with the with some of my classmates that were in the uh, How to Become the True Media class uh, of 2022. And I hope everyone tunes in for that. It'll be a fun time. So until then, I will... I, I wish you all you know a, a good week and um as always you know carry yourself and do carry yourself the right way do do the right thing just because it's the right thing to do I love you all good night